0: Good morning. That's a great sound to hear you guys visiting this morning, and we'll pick those conversations up again here in just a few minutes as we get ready to leave. But I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. Uh, We're in a three-part series on resolving conflict. This is part three. Tyler Briggs kicked us off, did a great job, and Garrett came around after that. And This morning, uh, I get the privilege of kind of wrapping this whole dude up. Hey, I was watching baseball, which I'm prone to do, and I was watching a game one afternoon. The uh, I think it was the White Sox, and this is the picture that came on the screen, or the live shot that came on the screen. So it was kiss cam, and uh, for some reason, this looks smaller in this picture. I think this is maybe after a little cleanup. This guy had enough mustard <laughs> to cover about five hot dogs. I mean, it was all over. him, <laughs> And so I just start dying laughing. And so, and then they didn't take the TV camera. It was a live shot. He goes, Oh, uh, it looks like the man's got a little mustard on his face there. <laughs> They're doing play by play on this guy's mustard. And so, in a little bit that you see his phone ring, as he reaches in and he picks up, he still didn't know it's there. And you see him talking to somebody, he goes, You know, and he, 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 they tell him, Hey, dude, you're on the Jumbotron and you're looking like Mustard Man. And so his wife starts laughing and so he, she hands him a napkin but instead of going for the mustard he's wiping his lips off and everyone's dying laughing. I mean he is clueless. And then of course finally she goes in and she starts trying to help him and it just it becomes this yellow <laughs> mesh all over his face. It just it was crazy funny. I said uh, and I I literally thought to myself that so could have been me. I mean, that could happen to me so easily. My wife has made a career over saying, pants are unzipped, something's in your teeth, you got food on your shirt. You know, sometimes after trips, my shirt is kind of like the memory album of what we've eaten that day. Uh, And so nobody wants to look like a fool. But the worst thing than looking like a fool is being a fool. And I tell you what, guys, I love this message today because we're going to talk about how we help each other. How, how a good friend leans in. I, I guarantee you my buddy, mustard man, didn't take the phone call. How dare you call me and tell me I'm looking bad? He was like, going, thanks, dude. And he brought in the uh, reinforcements from his wife there. We want people to help us when we're looking a fool. And sometimes we just have to get a, a better picture of what our foolishness does to us and what it does to others, quite frankly. Uh, it's a miracle that his wife... Didn't get the mustard exchange just because of where it was located. See, the problem is I can see your flaws. I can see your mustard, if you will, really easily. I just can't see my own. I have a hard time seeing my, because of my blind spots, I have a hard time seeing what's wrong with me or what I'm struggling with or what I've gotten accustomed to living with, quite frankly, until somebody comes and goes, really? You're going to live that way? Until somebody just lovingly puts their hand around me and says, dude, That's beneath you. God has more for you than that. And I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. I can see your flaws, but I have trouble with mine. Uh, This message I've called God's Plan for Redemption. And what's really strange is, is, what's really wonderful, quite frankly, is that this passage lays out what do you do with people who mess up? Because God knows people mess up. See, 50% of you in this room have already have had the joy of forgiving me and helping me in some way. And the other 50% of you will need to in the future, so I'm glad you're here so we can get ready for that. Uh, there is a part of me that I am so, uh, because of my blind spot, when I read this passage, I don't think I'll ever need any of these teachings because I'll be mature enough and I'll respond quickly to the, the the social cues the verbal cues the, the teaching of others and the fact of the matter is that's just not true that's a lie I have had to live in this passage I have to live in this passage getting care and correction in my life is a daily and I'm not exaggerating event it happens in little small ways and from some from time to time it happens in big ways and it's gotten to the point where it doesn't even offend me anymore. It's just normal. It's the way that loving people, it's as normal as, hey, you got a little something on your shirt. And I know that the people who tell me that are not because they hate me and they want to point out my shirt. They want me to not look foolish, and they don't want me to be a fool. Uh, I love this topic. I need others who will come to me and love me enough to, to help me live in such a way that I don't hurt myself and hurt others. Sometimes I don't care about hurting myself, but it really stinks when you begin to hurt your kids, hurt your spouse, hurt people that you're trying to have a decent relationship with. And guys, I'm just going to tell you something. Get over the fantasy that you're not going to do that. You're going to. It's not a matter of if I'm going to hurt you, it's when. So as human beings, as followers of Christ, it's not a negative subject. It's a necessary subject. We've got to get good at helping each other. And so here's, here's how it kind of goes. Uh, it's, it's crazy to me that God's plan for resolving conflict is to give us his word and to then to give us other rule breakers to help us. <laughs> and see, I keep thinking really pristine together, mature people are supposed to show up and help me with my life. And then all of a sudden I turn over and it's Troy Busmeyer, you know? He, you know, we, we just, God uses other rebels, and that confuses us a little bit. Uh, if, in case you can't f- quite figure out what I'm talking about there, every once in a while when my kids were small, and now they still do it, my kids would say, hey, Dad, you, you were a little angry. Okay, the, the rebel part of me wants to go, there's not any mustard on my face, and just kind of say, hey, uh, excuse me, you're not to be giving me instructions, but the I need my little boys to say to me, Dad, you seem a little angry, and go, hey, uh, it's because Dad is a little angry, and it's not righteous, kind kind of anger that brings about change of life. It's just, that's what made me feel good at the moment, and then I have to pull away. I'm explaining this like I did this perfectly, and I didn't. I had to pull away and say, will you forgive me? Because the things I said were true, but how I said them were Horrible. And it made it really hard for you to listen to them because I said it so poorly, because my anger and my frustration became more important than loving you. And so that's what I mean by that, is that we have to get really good at doing this and it takes practice and we do it really good sometimes and even as we do it, we have to ask each other forgiveness as we're doing it. And I've made a career out of it because I am a first-class screw-up in that regard so let's, today, here's what we're going to do. First of all, we're going to look at God's redemptive plan, and it's really, it's, it's simply this. Is we're going to learn that you have to act, number one. You have to include others so they can help you with this, okay, which is number two. They're going to help bear the burden of this process. And then thirdly, you're going to have to respond to others' choices biblically. Now, now, that makes any sense maybe right now, but we'll dive in it together. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 is the beginning of this whole section, and it sets it up perfectly. It says this, if a man has a hundred sheep and one has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of that one sheep that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one Little one should perish. Okay, this is the backdrop against everything that, that comes after this. What it says is you are important, and your friends are important, and your life matters. If your life doesn't matter, we just move, and we dispose of, and we keep moving, and we sit, we pat people on the head, and we say social niceties, but in our hearts, we, we devalue them, we don't care about them, and we never have real conversations with them. We just keep moving and act as if they don't matter, and in fact, we believe in our hearts they don't matter, and if we let our heart do that, after a while, our hearts become hardened, that God loves them and gave his life for them to provide for them redemption, just like he gave it to us. Every sheep is important to the shepherd, and there's no discarding of people. We don't do that. God doesn't do that, so when we are not united, then it's worthy of us leaving everything else in order to restore that relationship. Now, I'm telling you, uh, the way I'm wired is if my wife and I have a disagreement that doesn't end well, that we don't resolve, it wrecks my day. I mean, I kind of do functions and I do, do things I have to do, but it wrecks my spirit. And as I've walked with Christ, if I am walking with Christ, disunity with a brother or a sister wrecks me until it's resolved. And so it's like this weight that I carry until I can sit down and say, hey, let's talk, let's understand, let's move together because you're the one for me right now. You know, i got the 99, but you're the one that matters to me right now. And I've got to come to a point of understanding that I know that you're not enough out by yourself. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you're hurting too. Or maybe that, that isolation that I've just described, to that lost sheep, has nothing to do with the personal conflict between me and the other person. But it has to do with the person has stepped out of fellowship with God's word. And they're doing destructive things to themselves and to others. And as a friend, I'm seeing that and I go, whoa, that can't happen. That person matters. And left alone, they'll starve to death and they'll hurt themselves if something has to happen. When we see someone harming themselves, moving into addiction, becoming angry, destroying relationships, increasing isolation, that it's not just uh, recharge time. It's true isolation. They are making decisions by themselves routinely. And you can see the fallout of that. Then we need to act. We need to act and do something. Or we are saying to them, they don't matter. Because every sheep matters to the Father. When we see someone we are in relationship with harming the reputation of Christ, we must move towards them. By, it may be because of their careless living, by the way they don't lead themselves, or because of their self absorption and their cluelessness about everyone else around them and the effect of their life on everybody else. But in some way, you begin to say the cause of Jesus Christ is being affected by this Christ follower entitled that has forgotten who Christ is and what he calls them to. And when that happens, if we choose to be obedient to what love means, we must act and move towards them and share what we've seen. And then when we see someone that we are in relationship with who's harming others, we must move towards them. And we, mean, we, we involve ourselves in the eradication of the harmful acts People who uh, are means to an end, people who uh, see people as a means to an end. In in the dating world, when when men begin to see women as a means to sexual gratification and attaching a love label on it as a means to get what they want, it becomes a selfish act. It becomes a destructive act. Something good and wonderful becomes uh, something that's difficult when families are enslaved to fits of rage and anger by a, a leader or by a, a, uh, a mom or a dad or by a spouse, and we begin to see harm happening to others through the emotions, when we begin to see a lack of leadership in the home or a lack of leadership in a person's life to the point where it begins to harm other people, we need to act and step up and do something about it. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, "If your brother sins against you, it begins to tell us how to do this. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother." Most of us don't have these conversations with people because it would make it because we are more concerned about it making us uncomfortable than in helping them. Did you hear what I said? Most of us don't involve ourselves in these conversations because it makes us uncomfortable. And here's the I want to put a label on this because sometimes it's easy to remember that when you put a label on it. it's selfishness masked as kindness. Did you hear what I just said? To not act is selfishness. It's self preservation, self me. It makes me uncomfortable, and we mask it as kindness. Oh, we shouldn't say harm things that might make that other person feel uncomfortable. I guarantee you, my, my mustard man was really glad he got that phone call. But I'm going to tell you something. There have been times in my life, in little simple ways, in daily ways, and in big ways, that people have stepped up to me and said, hey, bro, that is not healthy for you. That is unbiblical, as a matter of fact. I can show you into your in scripture, and I'm not here to condemn you, but you've got to eradicate that from your life. Hey, but the way that you and I are communicating is not healthy, and there's an anger towards me, and I sense it. We need to deal with it. That's a gift to me. But if we, if we call ignoring something and, and just being, having a prayerful spirit, so it's, it's a shame about the Smiths. It's a shame about so-and-so. And, and, but we never act upon what we have seen and what we know to be true. And we just, it, it almost gets labeled as kindness, and it's anything but kind. It's anything but kind. Um, I, I've, I've told this illustration before, but it's the only one I got. Uh, I was standing, I did a Bible study years ago, and, and I had a, a summer intern who was a sweet guy that uh, ended up going to Vanderbilt. And he's a consultant in Dallas now. And uh, at the end of the Bible study, he said, hey, you do know your pants were unzipped during the entire Bible study. I said, well, a little clue from you would have been Helpful. And I was, I was really frustrated with him because I know nobody was listening. They were, like, doing this probably, like, going, please, God, help him. We need people to step up. And a loving thing would have been to just to reach up and let me know or give me the international zip your pants sign. I, I'll teach you that afterwards. But that's what people do that love each other. Uh, we are to go to pray, people, it says in this passage, in private. And I love that. It is, it's possible that your friend may not even realize that they've done something. I can't tell you how many times someone's coming to me or a family member's come up to me and they have gone, hey, when you said that, do you know? And I go, oh, my, I didn't. I'm so sorry. We, and, and so they, they may have done something. They don't even realize the ramifications of it or the full ramifications of it. Until you stop for a moment and you come to them in private and in kindness. And you come to them in private because you're not trying to shame them. And it removes the possibility of them thinking that there's some other agenda. When you just come and put your arm around and say, hey, bro, that meeting didn't go well. It seemed like you were really angry. Are you okay? That's a loving thing to do, to, to come to a person in private. Uh, that's an old man moment. And if their actions, if, if their actions were deliberate and they knew what they were doing... By you approaching them in private, it makes it crystal clear that you have no other agenda but to help them. And it also removes the greater temptation for them to become prideful. If there are others looking on, they may have to feel like they have to bow up and become defensive. But if it's just the two of you, you can come in kindness. You can say, hey, man, it felt like at one point in that conversation you made a decision that you were going to argue. And no matter what anybody else told you, it felt like you didn't want to listen to us. And I I, I love you, and I just felt like that was not your finest moment. And and the anger got in the way of us, regardless of what we decided, the anger got in the way of us having a great discussion. And I just wanted to bring that to you because you matter to me. Or if you come and say, hey, the behavior that you are participating in right now is destroying you, and I know it's not biblical, and you know that because you're a smart guy. And I just wanted to come to you and let you know that. And obviously, you made the decision, but I wanted to come to you because you matter to me. Doing that in that setting just makes the heart open and more careful. It doesn't always remove uh, any fear of reprisal or a bad response. We never go to win, but instead to win our brother's heart. We don't want to win, but we want to win our brother's heart. We don't need to be right. We want to make things right. That's really, really important. It's for his good. We want to restore fellowship and guard the heart against other choices that are harmful. And we want to go to each other with gentleness and humility. Galatians 6.1 says, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. You know, I think gentleness comes out of kind of who we are and where we are, but we got to spell it out so that we've got the, 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 the plumb line that says, this is what's acceptable. We must come in gentleness. There are times where I've had a tough meeting, and I just said, I know my heart is not in a gentle kind spot. I need to, I need to put this off, and I need to go deal with me. That's the passage we talked about earlier in this series about removing the beam in our own eye before we remove the splinter in somebody else's. That's when I say, hey, God, search my heart and see if there's anything in me that is wicked or difficult or not of use so that I can come to that person and, and love them and not come in there. I need to come with you. I think the more difficult the conversation, the more gentle the delivery. We say it clearly, but we say it with kindness. Uh, our tone, our volume uh, needs to be Precise. The word in Galatians for restore is the same word for the setting of a bone, of a broken bone. The word literally means to reset the bone that has been broken. That's a great word picture. He says when you come in to restore someone, do so with precision and with kindness so that you don't cause greater harm and greater pain. And there's a great outcome that's at risk here because what we want is... Uh, I, I tore my knee up a, a number of years ago, uh, cross-country skiing. And it was just, a, I was actually standing still when I fell. <laughs> just, I didn't want to get you the idea that I was going to the Olympics. Some of you, I know, were tempted to think that. But I just, we were standing still. Kim and I came to an intersection, and I just fell. But I, my foot went the wrong way, and my knee bent over. And I went to physical therapy, and I did the best I could. It still hurts all the time. And some of us, if we don't deal with this stuff correctly and gently and with precision, and these pers- and persons can't deal with the choices and the attitudes they're carrying that are destructive, they carry them from that point on, and they become a cycle. And sometimes they're, less than, they're more than just a, a physical annoyance that from time to time bother us. They cripple us. So it's, it is big stuff how we do this as much as what we do. Love comes from God. So as we talk about loving people, it is a decision, but it comes from God. And if you're not hanging out with the Father saying, God, I'm here and I'm asking you to use me today. I'm asking you to make a difference in my life. I'm asking you if I move towards my brother that you help me to reflect who you are in a way that they can understand. God, help me to do it in such a way that at the end of it, I trust you that you'll be the change agent. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to convince. I just have to be clear and loving. And God, you're what convicts, not me. I don't have to be the Holy Spirit. And God, I'm not going to be frustrated if they don't do what I've asked them to do. I'll be sad. But I won't take it as a personal offense because I've done what I need to do. I've been faithful to that person that I love. Love comes from God. That seems like a small point, guys. It's huge. If you are not abiding, walking, hanging out with God, you will not be carrying the DNA of love to the person. You just won't. You will not do it. So what you bring to the table is zero. You act, but you act with the love that he has provided for your heart to do that. And then it comes on, it finishes up that little section by saying that you might gain your brothers. And, the, and so that the outcome of the win in this is, is massive, that we might gain the brothers. So step number two goes like this. Step number two is uh, you share it with them. You say you come to them. You act upon it. Because they're hurting themselves, they're hurting others, and they're hurting the reputation of God for those three reasons. You come to them, and you say, hey, friend, I just want to share it with you so you can deal with it. And so at the end of it, they go, hey, thank you. I'll pray about it, and I'll get back to you. And they basically say, talk to the hand. I am not acting on this. Don't be offended. But the Scripture gives you specifically what you need to do. It says include others to help you bear this burden. Matthew 18, 16 says, but if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so what it's saying is if if at that point they're not responsive, for the first time you have permission to tell somebody else what's going on. So now you're not a gossip. You're bringing trusted believers who love God's word and are walking with him imperfectly into the situation say, hey, will you help me with this? And so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to give them an account of the data points, not not building a case against them, hey, I see this in him. It feels like the drinking is something that's beginning to control his life. I see this or that and then you begin to walk through this. All right, we're in conflict and here's how the conflict looks. And you spell it out. You spell it out as, as factually as you can without as much color commentary as you can. And you begin to pray about it together with these two or three other trusted people. And in the process, sometimes what happens is they point out a gap in your thinking, which is really important, guys. So you say, "Well, but it's still true. If even 3% of it is off kilter, that 3% is enough to screw up the process. It just is. So, man, own your 3%. My thinking is wrong in this. or. Uh, how I dealt with it, or how I presented it was wrong. You know, I got to own that first. That's my part, and be humble. Humility looks good on everybody. It just does. It doesn't repel us; it draws us in. As a matter of fact. So you, uh, after praying in that, if the, if the three, or two or three are involved, are folks who just say, "Hey, I, I think I think you're correct. I think this is something that would be helpful." that we gave this individual a chance to respond and eradicate and gain new freedom or to restore y'all's relationship, then you move towards that person again. Okay, so it's important to note that in our body, Watermark Fort Worth, it's full of sinners. The reason this passage is in here is because God knew that we needed it. We are going to mess up, every last one of us. And we say that everyone, everyone makes mistakes we don't really believe it because we always act like we're surprised when somebody brings up that we've made one. God knew that we needed this passage because we make mistakes. And at Watermark Fort Worth, our body is full of sinners who are addicted to pornography, folks that struggle with insecurity, that have anger issues, they've had affairs, they're lustful, they're lazy, selfish, self-loathing, defensive, arrogant, prideful people. That's on our new brochure, by the way. Come be a part of the fellowship of the broken <laughs> And so what I'm telling you is, uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because, guys, the problem is not that we're rule breakers and we're rebellious and that we're not perfect. The problem is if we want in humility, deal with it. No one goes through care and correction in the church who lets people put their arm around them and say, let's go through this together. They just don't. If you're here and you say, man, I got, I, got all, I got a lot of problems, and if people discover that, they're going to throw me out, could not be further from the truth. If you're a part of this body, the only thing we require you to do is let us love you and let us help each other and not run and pretend, because if I do that, what I have to pretend is that I don't love you and say it's okay for that one to go because he doesn't really matter. So once again, if you're a screw-up, you're in the right place because this is the most accepting environment on the planet to struggle. But you have to let people help you. And what's not helpful is to continue to let you destroy yourself, hurt others, or dishonor God. And so we go through it together. It's a good thing. So the vast majority of people come to step one and someone says, hey, dude, you're really angry. Can, can I come alongside you and just love you and tell you you're really angry and know that I care about you? And, I, and I'm not afraid of your anger. And neither is God. You know, let, let's go on Monday night together. let's go to Regen and let's find out why you're angry if you don't know. So well, I know why I'm angry. this is great. Well, let's deal with it then. All right, man, you know what? It feels like you're having a hard time being respectful of your wife, and there's some patterns there. And I know you probably have a million reasons why that's acceptable, why on, there's a dual offense and you feel like you're even, maybe even, you might even feel like you're justified and you might be somewhat in the world standards. Let's go to reengage and let's figure out what doesn't seem possible with man is possible with God, so let's go. And most of the people that come through there, if they'll humble themselves, they, they find, they walk away saying, man, it, it changed my marriage. And not only are we not divorced, we actually love each other now. Crazy. And on and on and on, I could go. Places and conduits for people to work on together and to understand, to be in a community group and really be a community group and help each other and confess sin and rejoice and not beat up on each other but encourage the lamb to come home. What a gift we have. The church is not a policing organization. That's not why we're in business. But, man, while we're grazing together, if you begin to stray and and I don't say, hey, I know there's wolves out there, one less lamb. And besides, I don't know him that well. Somebody knows him, and they better go after him if they call themselves a Christ follower. I wrote in uh, a journal not too long ago, our sin choice has placed us On an island. And it leaves us exposed. Our sin choice has put us on an island, it has left us exposed, and it ensures our destruction and demise of all that we hold dear, including the connection and joy with those that we love the most. That's huge, guys. For us to let people drift to a place of isolation to the point where they destroy the people that they love most. And that's not ever how they intend to do. No one gets up and goes, you know, I think I'll blow up my family this year. You know, I've I've got the yard put in. I've worked. I got the pool put in back. And this will be the year I think I destroyed my marriage. (laughs) Nobody gets up doing that. But, man, it happens. We drift and little by little, by little, that drift takes us to a place that, in fact, does that. We destroy relationships. We harm ourselves. We become addicted to things that we thought would give us some measure of life, and they end up taking over our life. So, how can you deal with this? How can you not act? Invite others to help you stand in that gap, approach people, compel them, give them the resources. Uh, partner with folks to get that done. And I I'd I'd talked to the community department here, my friends John and Brett and others, and I said, hey, guys, help me prepare for this message. What would you say? They said, tell them to call us early. <laughs> it's much easier to put out a flame in the back room than it is to call out multiple departments to put out a brush fire that's taken over the city. Let's get to it early. And so we call in people to help us early community group members, church leaders, community coaches, community department, trusted friends who love God's word and will bring his word, and not just to agree with us, by the way. Uh, we bring uh, trusted friends who will bring their Bible and share it with kindness. And then if he responds, partner with them in his restoration. Don't just say, okay, great, we're friends now. God, we got that behind us. Here's a Dairy Queen coupon. Uh, man, go with them to regen. Go with them to reengage or get them there and, and, and introduce them. Uh, in, in a community time, spend more time together, invest, call and check on your friends. When you've restored the relationship, how am I, am I doing good? Are we still connected? Hey, you know, I know I, we've forgiven each other, but we're also rebuilding some trust here, and that takes some time. And I want you know I, that matters to me, and I want to check on you. Get together regularly, and then have frequent celebrations, uh, frequent, frequent celebrations. But then every once in a while, there's an old man moment. We get to step two. We've called it. We've gotten together. We've talked about it, and it just doesn't go well. And we're sad. And we've done everything we know we can do, and we've maybe done it imperfectly, but we've done it, and we brought in others, and it just there's there's so there's this huge group of people that just respond to it. They're in a bad place, they've got bad things they're dealing with, but they just respond. And there's this other group of people, you come to them, you say, Hey, it's not going well, you bring in the wisdom and counsel of others, and you go to it, and there's a huge another group they respond here, and then there's a little tiny group, less than one percent, that say, Talk to the hand. I'm going to do what I want to do. And they'll say it in a lot of different ways. I'm not condemning them as people. I'm just saying they say it in a lot of different ways. But they don't respond. Matthew 18:17 says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. By the way, if you're like me, you go, Gentile or a tax collector, what does that mean? <laughs> it means they're not a part of the family. You treat them like they don't belong because they don't belong. Because so this step is called uh, defining this whole choice piece of this to respond to others to their choice biblically. Mm-hmm. They've made the choice. There are some, you know. Outside in the town square, let's say, hey, they'll throw you out of the church if this happens. That is so not the truth. That is a lie that gets in the way of God's redemptive act that he's trying to do here. They are on an island because they've chosen to go to an island. They have refused, the scripture says, all sound wisdom. And we're not mad and we shouldn't be mad. We're sad that they have removed themselves and we still love them but we're not in close fellowship anymore because we're not in community together and we're not serving together. And they may come to even worship with us, perhaps, but we've lost that bond because they won't let us help biblically. Uh, there, however, is another truth, and that is that there's a truth that's really important, that although our mission is to restore and rescue and protect Sin that is not dealt with always spreads. Let me give you an example of that. If you let disunity become normative, it's okay to talk about people. I hope you know here that if you come to a pastor and you start talking to us about it, we'll go, hey, does he know what you're telling me? Because if he doesn't, I'm not trying to catch you. But let's get together and let's let you talk. Well, I'll take care of this. It's great. I'm going to bump into him in the next couple of days. And I just want to see if y'all have gotten together and had a chance to talk about it. And if you haven't, I may call you up and we'll see if we can get together because he deserves you, you telling him that if it's true. If it's not true, then you get corrected and you all can be restored. Okay, that gets rid of a lot of juicy tidbits, by the way. And I hope that's happening. And we, we all make mistakes, guys. We make mistakes in that area. We're all going to be patient with each other. But guys, we're here to not shoot the wounded. We're here to help the wounded. And sometimes the wounded... Uh, And I say it differently. The wounded one day will be us. I trust you know that. To not care means we are polite, but avoid the reality and truth of the situation. We live in dishonesty with each other. We are not in fellowship. We are not obeying God's word. But we'd rather just go, I'll just avoid you. And as you come back, go, hey, Jim, how you doing? I'll move over here and I'll just act like we've never even experienced this thing together. And it's crazy for informed hearts to do that. Instead, what we do is we move towards you and say, let's just admit that I love you and the church loves you and the leaders love you. And I don't get to make that decision. That decision is always made in a concert over a long. The, The most surprising thing to me is how much time we spend working on one life. It's crazy. I don't know how we get any work done sometimes. And I I mean, that staff and lay people. People matter to God, and so they matter to us. But we must continue to lean in so that there's this last ditch, last plea for repentance from leaders and elders of the church. And if rebellion or indifference continues, it's time to spell out the reality of their choices and, in fact, declare that they had chosen to live on an island by themselves. Without the benefit of God's truth or the great plan He has for their life. I never get excited about that. Never. Never. But I must be obedient to that process because there's the possibility that God can redeem it. I want to introduce you to a new friend. Uh, Russ Robertson, so when we were preparing for this series, I picked up the phone, I called John Elmore and a couple of the guys over in Dallas, I said, hey guys, uh, y'all been doing this longer than we have, tell me about someone who went all the way through restoration and they came out the other side and God has done a great work in their life and the name Russ came to me immediately and said, man, that's so exciting. matter of fact, I forgot to tell you this. I called uh, Elmore last night and I go, hey, uh, Russ is in and we've had the pre-visit. And I'm so excited about him telling his story. He goes, goes, oh, that is so great. I cannot wait. (laughs) He goes, please tell me you're taping this. Uh, John's in charge of our region ministry. And so uh, uh, Russ has served in the past and currently serves in the regeneration ministry. And so he is a trusted leader there. So you were outside of, this is uh, pre-going through the care and correction process. You were outside of the church. You weren't a part of Watermark. And uh, all of a sudden you had an encounter that put you in contact with the gospel and truth. Tell us about that.
1: Absolutely. I, I wish we had about 30 minutes at least to go with this because it's such a great story of God's grace in my life. But uh, at the end of the day, I was going through a season um, in the desert just in a place of despair, um, depression, uh, because life was not going well. Uh, and at the time, God intervened in my life and created for me what I could only call, categorize as a divine appointment uh, where for three hours uh, a faithful servant of the Lord and Watermark member ministered to me and shared with me the gospel, as well as told me all about the wonderful things going on at Watermark and specifically regeneration.
0: Okay, so you go with a regeneration and the, the things that were adding and contributing to your uh, depression, you got to walk through those and do the, you know, the faithful inventory mm-hmm. And you go through that, and, man, you, you're uh, reconnecting with God's word, not only in your head but in your heart. And at the end of regeneration, they uh, after a season of faithfulness, they say, man, not only do, are we celebrating with you what God's done in your heart, we want you to help other men walk through it as a leader. So you become a leader at yes. Regen. And so at the end of that, uh, you uh, continue to, you're in, now you're in community. you got a group of men that are around you as a single man at that time, and uh, he's married now. Uh, uh, Amy, thank you for being here today. Patty. Oh, Patty, thank you. Now, there are some people going, of course, Gary screwed that up. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a theme party with me. Uh, and so at that point, uh, you begin to drift. And so although you have truth uh, you begin to drift. Tell us a little bit about that drift. Yeah,
1: yeah. and for full transparency's sake, it, it was just a matter of selfishness. Um, I wanted what I wanted, uh, and what that looked like is uh, Patty and I uh, began dating, and we found out pretty quickly it was, it was serious. This was heading someplace, um, but we lived quite a distance apart really in a little more than an hour or so. And where we found ourselves straying in those choices, those selfish choices that really tarnish the name of Christ, uh, was periodically spending the night at each
0: other's homes. Okay, so, I mean, obviously your guys look at that and go, whoa, Rush, you're crazy. You uh, you know, if you've been in my community group, I go, you're a better man than I am, if you can pull that off. And so you begin to start dealing with that, and they start telling you truth about what it means to remove any uh, hint Mm. of sinful actions uh, and then also just protecting you from making uh, choices that would really hurt you guys. And so at that point, you basically, you you very kindly, as you described to me, said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. And so cutting to step two, they asked some other faithful men to come join you guys, and so what happened there? Sure,
1: sure. Uh, yeah, and, and my guys were awesome guys, and, and we were transparent the whole way through. I, I, I made no excuses, uh, uh, just always being truthful. Uh, but, you know, I met one-on-one, just like we talked about in Matthew 18, 15, one-on-one with one particular brother, pointed out my sin. And, and uh, again, it was a, a talk-to-the-hand moment. And so when we met the following week in community, we had that same conversation. And, again, it was a a talk-to-the-hand moment. And within a matter of a a couple of days, really the next time we met on a Wednesday, uh, they brought in uh, Joe Daly from the community team as well as uh, Robbie Rice from the community team. And, again, and had that same conversation.
0: Yeah. And so the thing I was encouraged about, you know, I was was trying to unravel uh, Russ's story by saying, hey, so... At what point did someone lose it? Because they didn't. They were kind all the way through. They were loving me and they were gentle, but they were truthful. And so uh, we get all the way through that process and we say, Hey, this is a brother that right now wants to quarrel against all sound wisdom. And uh, we're going to to have to allow him his choice because it's his choice. So we're just going to declare the reality that he is living independent of wise counsel and that we love him, but we no longer are in fellowship with him because that's what we're gathering around. We're gathering around that truth. And so they left the church. Uh, Well, Patty didn't at the time because she really wasn't a part of us at that point. But uh, Russ... uh, looked at that, and he left the church, and uh, they attended another church for a while. And so, Russ, so you're out there. Y'all eventually get married and uh, are building a life together. And what were the things in your heart, regardless of the other church and all that, what were the things in your heart that said, man, I need to make this right?
1: Uh. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, for me, uh, what that looked like was um, stepping away from Watermark, being in a place where I was not being surrounded by other faithful believers, God's provision for me, uh, not being around sound doctrinal teaching. Uh, I found myself uh, in a place, and in a church, uh, where I was really sitting on the sidelines. Uh, I wanted to get in the game and be in the game. I was ready to do that, but that wasn't available. Of course, now I can see, hey, you know, you're in the middle of sin here, and so God's not going to open that door for me. Uh, so I had gotten to the place where I was very, very critical. That's my, my heart was very critical over uh, the change in the teaching style and, being, and stepping away from Watermark, and uh, it just built up over a period of time, and it, would, and it weighed heavily on me, and Patty could see that. And so we just simply got together and had a conversation about that. And I knew, in my heart, I knew what I needed to do, and that was to go back to Watermark. And I had simply said, hey, if you want me to be all that man, all that God has called me to be, the man He's called me to be, uh, if you want me to be the best leader of this home and, and of this marriage, we need to return
0: to Watermark. Okay, so, uh, yeah yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're telling a two-hour story in about 15 minutes here, but... What's involved in that, Russ, as, as I've listened to you, is it not, it? you know, it, the temptation is to believe it's consumerism. This was, We're going to go back because Watermark's got better teaching, and that's not what this is. What I know it to be is I, I, I God provided my needs through these men. Mm. God provided me through his teaching, and God provided all these things, and I blew it up. Yeah. And I need to just go admit, I blew it up. If I had listened, mm. I would still have all those things. And so you came back, and you said... Uh, to Patty, hey, I want to go back. I want to make this right. So tell us about the restoration process.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, it was beautiful. And God was gracious, and God's provision for me was very gracious and loving. Uh, and it was very humbling. Uh, but, you know, I learned through, re- through regeneration the steps that we take. And that's precisely what I did. I humbled myself, and I went directly to the folks that played a role uh, in that in that 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 that, relation, that change in relationship that we had, uh, you know, starting with John Elmore and going to Joe Daly, and each of each and every one of the folks that were in my community group and meeting with them one on one and acknowledging uh, where I faltered and seeking forgiveness and asking to be restored. And every single one of those conversations was met with love and with grace. Um, and it was all I could ever imagine it to be, just being loved on so well on both ends of that transaction.
0: Okay, so if I'm the region director and I'm looking at this guy who, I mean, if, if you talk, spend very much time with the rest, he knows a lot of God's word, and that can get you in trouble sometimes, but he knows a lot of God's word, and I'm thinking, man, I, I got a leader. I got groups that are waiting for a leader. Not what happened. They took this guy, and they said, you're important to us. Just come and be. And just prove your faithfulness. And it's not a punitive action. We're not trying to punish you. Well, Patty goes through Regen, his wife. She graduates. They ask her to be a leader. And Russ is still on the sidelines, a thing that had brought a lot of life to him. And uh, with great humility, he would sit out in the lobby and read a book while Patty would go to leaders' meeting before they went to uh, Regen. But finally there came a time, and John said, Hey, buddy, you... You haven't earned your way in. You have proven that your heart's in the right place. It's not about you anymore. And so now this guy is a gift to these men as he walks with them. And uh, uh, they love him. He is trusted. He is not a, when, when restoration happens, you're not on probation. He is restored. They hand him a group of people whose lives are in dealing with stuff because they love him and they trust him. And he is saying, hey, follow me as I imperfectly follow Christ. Uh, I, I didn't say this last hour, but when we were visiting uh, Russ, we were talking about stuff. He was, in, in the process, he was confessing current stuff he's dealing with and struggling with in his life. And I was like going, you know, when there is no shame, healing is taking place. So when I called Russ, I said, hey, would you come over and just say, I want I wanted to see a person who's a real person. And he goes, I'd love to do that. And uh, it's because when you don't carry that burden, you're free. So would you go through it all over again? Not, and it's not what that we, we had planned for it, but what it, can you see where God's hand was in that, bro? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah that, is, that is a difficult question, you know. And, and what I will leave you with is, you know, it was, it was a difficult choice uh, to pull Patty out of the the church home that she was in and she was involved in and plugged into and a serious part of. Um, But we had that conversation. We made that decision. And it wasn't all that long ago, maybe just a few months ago, when we were sitting down having a conversation about all that God had done in our lives, in us and through us. And the question was, would this have happened had we not come back to Watermark? And it, just, it reminds me of uh, Psalm 1825, and it says, to the faithful you show yourself faithful, to the blameless you show yourself blameless. So God, God has just opened the floodgates and poured out blessings on us and, and allowed us to work in areas and be part of things that we just, we, we couldn't imagine that happening without that.
0: Well, bro, you're a blessing, and hu- your humility is what makes all this possible. And I know that comes because you trust God. And at some point, we got to trust him, that if we do what he says to do, he's going to be there at the end of it. And, bro, he's been there in spades. And let's thank Rush Robertson. Thank you, buddy. Love you. Well, we're going to wrap this up this morning by uh, singing a song of worship. But I will tell you... uh, it all boils down to, are we going to do what? I, didn't, I, I wouldn't have written this plan up this way. <laughs> I would have screwed it up. And when I read it, I go, what? We've got to go to people and have a conversation, love them, and then if it doesn't work out, we've got to bring somebody else with us. And finally, if it doesn't work out, we, we don't just go, I oh, didn't work out so good. We involve others, and we define the relationship for the possibility that there might be a turn of heart at some point, and they come home. Russ, I sure am glad you came home. And I'm sure I'm glad that many of you came home. You may not have gone through a care and correction process in the official sense, but at some point you said, God, I need you, and I'm going to let you work in me, and I'll do whatever it takes to put my heart in a place where joy is restored once again, where truth is available, where his people are available to me. What a gift that is. And I'm telling you, we don't just sort of need Christ. We need him. The luckiest people in this room today are those who know they need him, because they have a treasure trove at their disposal. So let's stand, listen to the words of this song as we sing it. I'm going to pray for us before we do that. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of getting to look at your plan. And God, thank you that your ways are not our ways. Your ways work. My ways uh, don't work. And so, God, thank you, and I thank you for the testimony of our dear brother, Russ, and I thank you for his faithfulness. God, I thank you for the hundreds of people that have received care from friends this year, and they just have responded to it well. They really have. They've turned, and they've just said, hey, God, I'm a mess, and I'm still struggling with my addiction. I'm still struggling with my anger, but I'm not going to run from your people and from your word because... You're not trying to hurt me. You're trying to help me. You're giving me this gift of your church. God, we need you. Help us to love enough and listen enough so that we might be a blessing to each other. In your name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together.